Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of the Counterpunch Podcast here at Cracked Rackets. Alongside my co-host, Archit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we are here to break down all things WTA for you tonight. Archit, how you doing? I'm doing phenomenal, Richard. It's been quite a while since I got to join you for an episode of this show, but excited to talk some WTA. Uh, what did we learn, Richard? Did you learn much from 2023? And what is that going to tell us about 2024? I'm excited to hear your thoughts. I sure have plenty of my own. Let's get to it. Yeah, I think we've learned a lot. I don't know if we've learned anything new, but I think we've learned a lot. Uh, when you look back at 2023, we're going to start off with some awards like we did for the men. We're going to start off with our player of the year. Archie, I'll let you go first. I know you and I probably have the same pick, but, you know, I'll be courteous. Listen, well, I appreciate that, first of all, but <laughs> you can't deny what Iga Shiontech did. Now, I'll tell you this. Arena Sabalenka has a real argument to be the player of the year. There is a world where she won all four slams this year because, quite frankly, she was really quite close in this world. She was about six points away from winning every major in the world this year, but she didn't. And I think what Ego was able to do at the end of the year, the slam success that she still had at Roland Garros and just consolidating her position on top of the tour and... I'll just say ending the year as world number one. I still think she's my player of the year. I might give it to Sabalenka, but you know what? I'll still go with Triantec. I'm sure you're going to go with the same. Um, And you assume correctly. Uh, I think for me, I mean, obviously a huge part of it to me is um, the year end world number one and reclaiming that um, in time, to- you know, in enough time and, uh, I think this was a really great season for her. Um, a quarterfinals finish at Wimbledon, obviously winning the French Open, her third in four years, and then finally getting that elusive WTA finals title. Um, I just think this was a really strong season for her, and 100% um, does Sabalenka have an argument in that conversation? She 100% does. I think we've seen a lot of growth from her. Um, over the course of, you know, these past 12 months. But I think denying Iga of this would just be so tough to do. Uh, she had such a great season overall. The most titles on tour, um, most finals on tour, you know, literally leader in every category possible here. Um, so it's hard to deny. Uh, but definitely, like, huge props to Sabalenka for the year that she had. Uh, moving on to our next one. Which, you know, appropriately for the for the point that I just made about Sabalenka, most improved. Archit, your thoughts on this one? Well, to me, there are two real contenders for this award, and it's Coco Goff and Arena Sabalenka. And you know what? I'm gonna give it to Arena Sabalenka. I think winning your first slam, which again both of them did this year. 
but I I think just the way that Sabalenka was able to put together such consistent tennis at such a high level to be doing that over the course of the entire 52 weeks of the season or well I guess if we're not counting December so however many that is 48 you know I, I still got it but what I will say is Arena Sabalenka being that consistent and displaying that high of a level week in, week out, especially at the biggest events where she showed up at the slams and did it when it mattered most. Yes, there is an argument to be made that she let some matches slip away. But I'll tell you this, like Arena Sabalenka of last year, Arena Sabalenka of two years ago, isn't winning a lot of the matches that she won this year. Like, She's gotten to a point where she's putting herself in these positions consistently, and now it's about replicating this over another season. It'll be interesting to see if she can do it, but before we even look into 2024, I just feel like we need to give her the props for what she did in 2023. It can't be talked about enough, the level that she was at. So, yeah. I, I fully agree, and I agree it's also between two people. It's between Iga, sorry, uh, Arena and Coco, and just to be different, I'll go a different route uh, with Coco Goff. I think what's interesting about this one is I think Coco's, like, real significant, like, visible, you know, improvement came towards the end of the season. She was good all season long, but I think we really saw it come to fruition towards the end of the season, um, for obvious reasons, you look at the win at the U.S. Open, her game has grown and matured so much over time, and it's it's been cool to watch her really come into her own. I think we've seen her game change so much over the last few months, and for the better. Uh, and I think, I mean, a huge part of that needs to go back to BG, Brad Gilbert, and all of the improvements that he made uh, regarding Coco's game. It just, she, you saw, I feel like, a new side of Coco when you looked at the U.S. swing, like, from from Washington, D.C. to Cincinnati to New York. I feel like you saw a growth in maturity. I saw You saw a growth in confidence, um, and that confidence going meaning both on and off court, which again we've talked about extensively how important that is. Um, so I think I don't know. I just it, it was just such a great season for Coco, and um, to the same point that you made with Sabalenka, I think the Coco at the end of this season, and like the Coco from Cincinnati and, and New York and DC, would not be winning the matches that Coco did. La- you know. That that same kind of comparison. Coco now would have won those matches, but Coco a year ago would not have won these matches. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. The only pushback that I might give is, <laughs> well, if this were an award for most improved during the span of a calendar year, then yeah, I would it, 100% give it to Coco because this season, the improvement she showed from losing first round of Wimbledon to Sophia Kennan and then going from there to rattling off a title in Cincinnati. Wait, did she win in Cincinnati? She did win in Cincinnati, yeah. I believe. Yep. W- winning the title in D.C. and then winning the title at the U.S. Open to win her first major. Like, that is improvement by its definition. 
But what I will say is Sabalenka put together that level through the whole season where it was looking like she may not have that slam winning gear for a little bit. There were people who were starting to doubt whether she had that ability or not, and I think she did prove that. But ultimately, I think both Sabalenka and Coco would be phenomenal picks for this category. 100%. The next one that we have is Breakout Player of the Year. And again, I'll I'll, I'll let you go as I formulate... (laughs) my opinion here well yeah me personally i'm gonna go with junction when like i think and this is something where i just believed that she had this in her beforehand so i don't know if it's really a breakout for me but junction when has just always been a player that i've had my eye on she's still a player that i think has a tremendously high ceiling one of the most effortless ball strikers in terms of generating power with ease. You know, quite interestingly, I was just looking at uh, Tennis Abstract, Jeff Sackman's wonderful, wonderful website where he has the women's ELO leaders. And I saw that Zhang Wen was sixth in the women's ELO. The five names in front of her, Jessica Pagula, Olena Rabakina, Arena Sabalenka, Coco Goff, Iga Sviantek. That sounds about right to me. Like, I don't really think that there's that many players playing that much better than her. And yes, we may say, okay, that wasn't a complete breakthrough given the fact that Chin Wen maybe doesn't, didn't pop into people's frame of reference as quickly as, oh, sorry, scratch that. (laughs) The point that I'm trying to make is Zhang Chin Wen probably wasn't perceived as this elite top 10 level player before the year. And she did make that jump. Right. And I think ultimately that's all that matters. Some would argue that she didn't really break through because people knew of her beforehand, but I think that jump in level is something that maybe I'm just talking myself into most improved, but you know what? (laughs) I've already made the case. So breakout player of the year junction one onto you. Um, as, as we usually do, we had a chat, um, before, and I, I know that I had rattled off some names to you, Archit, um, including we, we, we had mentioned Peyton Stearns and her run, but I'm going to go a slightly different direction because I was looking through, um, you know, the review for the, for 2023 and just like, kind of like the wiki page that has all of the results, you know? Um, finals, you know, all that, you know, finals, um, finalist, so winner, finalist, you know, say finalist, quarter finalists. And one name stood out to me and you can say what you want about me saying this name. I'm aware that the world is going to look at me and say that this is biased AF and I am well aware of this, but I think when I'm looking at these names and I'm looking at like year end rankings and I'm looking at who won titles, this is the only name that I feel like has gone under the radar for the last few seasons and is finally at the top and is finally, you know, getting some serious recognition. God, I'm going to regret saying this name, R and I. Most probably. Magdalenette. But... Okay, there it was. Um, To me, I think, and this is something that really, like, wowed me, in both a positive and a negative was that 
to really make your mark on the tour for the first time at 31 years old. Call it a late bloom, but just her 2023 season was really, really, really solid. Um, She played great at the United Cup, had a great start to her season. And then at the Australian Open, took out a bunch of seeded players to make the quarterfinals. Um, You know, her first, you know, second week at a major. Um, Sorry, she made the semifinals. My bad. Um, Made fourth round of of a um, 1000 event for the first time in Miami. Uh, Reached the quarterfinals in doubles at the U.S. Open. She had some solid form throughout the season, debuted in the top 20 for the first time in her in her career and qualified for the WTA Elite tro- um Elite Trophy. After being a player that has notoriously and like this is where like my kind of rationalization comes is because this is like a player that I've followed for a while and I know her and her and her road to get here. This is a player who has been a solid, consistent top hundred player, but there was never that real that real moment where she breaks through and makes it into the top fifty, top thirty, top twenty. She had touched the fifties, the forties a little bit, but this was finally the season where she really came into her own. You you look at the way that she played in Australia; it looked like a different person, and. To me, I was so ready to say uh, Zhang Chenwen, but I also don't want to sit here and have every same answer as Archit does. And I think that well, I mean, I personally that's twenty twenty three season. This, I personally yeah. think you should because this Archit guy sounds really smart. But continue. <laughs> but no, I just think like, and I'm looking at all these names that won titles and you know did all this stuff, and these are names that we are aware of. Beatrice had Admaya, Elise Mertens. Uh, Alina Svitolina, Petra Kvitova. Like, these are all names that we're all aware of. But then you look and then out of nowhere you just have Magdalenette. And now you have a different name. And that's what I think really stands out to me as well. I, I'm going to allow you to, to push back on that because I know you do. I know you have some pushback. Honestly, not that much for the case that you've made. Will I be ignoring the bias that you have in making this pick? Absolutely not. But oh yeah, I think I, I think mean, I think bias or not, it's a warranted discussion to bring up a player that really finally had at least you know in terms of a breakthrough, a breakthrough season. Well, at least to save yourself, I'll give you the option of listing any honorable mentions <laughs> that you may have had when deciding. Okay, this. I okay. I had Jung Chin Wen, you said it. I had Peyton Stearns, you said it. Like, the other players that I would have put on that list are probably, like, comeback players. Um, another player that I had on there was Alicia Parks. I think she was great this season. Um, do you want Do you want to throw in Marquette of Andrusman? Because there's no way any of us thought she could win a slam. Yeah, but to me, it's a matter of we all knew who Von Drusva was. She was a top player. She was already in the, in the conversation for greatness. And I just think, like, if we're talking about, like, surprise, surprise in the same way that, like, I don't know, Krejcikova won the 2021 French Open, like, you can say, you know, for um, for Von Drusva winning Wimbledon. I'm for me, you. I just thought I, I just thought of breakthrough. I just thought of like breakthrough being a player that was not on our radars previously, but at the end of the season is now very well on our radar. Yeah, I'm 100 percent with you. I agree. 
But I will say, I I actually don't mind the Von Trusev pick. Another name I'm gonna throw out there just as another honorable mention because I feel like the listeners deserve this one at least. Like Yelena Ostapenko was really good this year. She sure, was, not a breakthrough, not a breakthrough. That's a, that's a Grand I, Slam oh, champion. It's a oh, it's a hundred percent not a breakthrough year. <laughs> It's a hundred percent not, but if we're talking about week to week success, it is kind sure, of, it is, yeah. she's, she's a player who had a breakthrough in that she was consistent for the first yeah. time in probably her entire <laughs> career, but True. another, another be, player that was like on my mind, like, could you call, could you say Mira Andreeva? I think you could. I think, I think, I think if you make that argument at the end of this year, you history will prove you right, but Okay, it, it, the, you could make the argument. I'm not against it. Absolutely not. Because she honestly might be breakthrough player of the year, though. Yeah. It's just a tough one because, like, it's... it's. I think it's tough this year outside of picking Zhang Chen-Wen just because you're looking at title winners on tour this season, and these are all players that either were in the top 10 coming into the season or have been in the top 10 at some point in their career. When you're talking about like, I'm not, I'm not saying all title winners. I'm saying like 500s, 1000s and etc. It's a hard yeah. bill. No. So can, it's, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't hate, I don't hate the Magdalene that pick to be honest. Do but I think she's we... the number one option for this? No, I think Zhang Chen Wen is. But I, I wanted to throw another name in there. Yeah, but why don't we? Yeah, why don't we go ahead and move <laughs> on to our next category? Because we could probably argue this point in circles. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we're and and when we go to the next question, we're going back to those top players that we talk about so often, and we hear them all the time. Best rivalry of 2023. To me, there's two options here. To me, it's either Iga versus Arena or Arena versus Elena. Yeah. Those are my top rivalries. Not to say there weren't other great rivalries that include Coco or Jesse um, or other amazing players, but I think Iga versus, you know, Sabalenka versus Shviantek or Rabakina versus Sabalenka to me. Yeah. I mean, to me, those are the exact same names that I was going to go with. I'm going to make the case for Sabalenka or Abakina because per, uh, personally for me, I think they played my favorite match of the year, or at least the most memorable match of the year in that Australian Open final with Sabalenka prevailing in three sets. Oh, and when, and when an Australian Open final is what you remember at the end of the year, it means something. Like, uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think that is probably the best match of the year. But then you look at the other matches that they played because... Indian Wells were boxing. I think that Indian Wells seven final. six six four. Yeah, they played in the Beijing quarterfinals as well. Rabakina wins that one. Sabalenka wins at the WTA finals. Let's not get into what's happened in twenty twenty four so far, but <laughs> I just think it's so interesting that they they split. Did they split that? They did split the head to head two and two this year. Or I I hundred percent I hundred percent agree with you. To me, like. Ego versus, you know, Ego versus Arena wins if you isolate the clay court season. The clay court season alone, those two were fighting for for almost every big title you could. 
Um, Iga beat Sabalenka in Stuttgart, and then Arena got her revenge against Iga in Madrid. And it just, you kept seeing those names, you know, if it wasn't even, like, winning tournaments, it was deep in those tournaments. I think if you isolate the clay, um, it's them. And they, not to say they didn't have great matches outside of the clay court season, they did. Um, But I just think, you know, Sabalenka versus Rabakina spanned over the course of the entire season and they had great matches every time. I don't remember a single Sabalenka versus Rabakina match from this past season that was underwhelming or disappointing or boring. Yeah. No, it's a really intriguing matchup as well to kind of similar hitters in that they will look to get the first strike in in almost every rally that they play. They are two very different athletes, but both incredibly athletic and just really clean and pure ball strikers. So it's an interesting dynamic that the two of them have. And, well, their post-match, well, post-match ceremonies are always pretty fun between <laughs> the two of them. But I just think... The way I view it is the sabalenka Shriantek rivalry would defined the 2023 season in that off the court, it was a it was who is the best player between the two of you. And for almost all of the year, if not the entire year, they were the two best players in the world. It was them kind of jockeying for that top spot at the end of the in year. In a conversation of consistency. Yeah. It, hundred percent. And so when you have that level of a rivalry, I'd be hard pressed not to select that. But in just the matches that we saw on the court, I would go Rabakina Sablenka because I thought, A, those were higher quality, quality. matchups yeah. in some way. And also just, they were just more fun. I'll be quite honest. Like those matches were really intriguing from a viewer standpoint. And, I just think I, I that th- yeah. I just think that Sabalenka Shriantek is going to define the next five years of what we watch, and I think they defined it last year. So I, we better give Rabakina and Sabalenka. <laughs> we better give that rivalry the due it deserves at this point. I think it's so. I think they make for really entertaining tennis, tennis because of the similarities in their game. When you look at you know stripping down to bare bones strategy and the way that they hit and the way that they play. Iga introduces a different factor, whereas you're looking at Iga and you're looking at, like, movement and topspin versus, like, flat, deep, you know, ground strokes from Sabalenka and Rabakina. Sabalenka and Rabakina play similarly, flat and deep into the back of the court, heavy, um, with, like, I feel like just different emphases with their games. I feel like Sabalenka has an emphasis on, I feel like, riskier shot, um, you know, like, like lower like margin like you know margin of risk or whatever um i don't know why my words are escaping me today but like i feel like like sabalenka is taking more risky shots and more powerful shots whereas like rabakina is so quick and nimble across the court and it's just so fun because of how similar their games are you know and it and that's just why i think it works and i fully agree with everything you said but with that said this leads into the conversation of who is in the slam conversation heading into 2024. Um, and now we can start to bring in results from what's happened thus far in the minor tournaments leading up to the Australian open. 
And so who's in that slam conversation? I feel like you're looking at the regular suspects when we come to Australia. You're looking towards Iga. You're looking towards Sabalenka. You're looking towards Rabakina and kind of those primary faces. Um, and looking at the form that they're in, they're all in really good form. Iga absolutely dominated the United Cup, winning winning all of her singles matches. Um, and then, was it Brisbane? Um, yeah, and in Brisbane at the 500, um, Elena Rabakina beat uh, Arena Sabalenka in the final quite handily. Uh, in Auckland, Coco beats Fidelina in the final. Um, so it's going to be really interesting um, who you're looking at. You know, I think you have a lot of players that are looking in really good form. Uh, do you have anybody that um, you think looks extremely well so far, Archit? Well, I think I, it'd be hard-pressed not to say Elena Rabakita because yeah. what she did to Arena Sabalenka in Brisbane, winning 0-3, and don't be fooled, that those... Arena Sabalenka said it perfectly. She said, thank you for, in the trophy ceremony, she told Rabakina, thank you for at least giving me three games so we could make it look like a fight. And that's exactly what that was. That match was not anything competitive to the realm of what you can what they What their match. matches were last year. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think if there's one thing that we can gather is that Rabakina loves playing in Australia. I think the fast courts just really suit her game. She enjoys the hard course. She moves well on them in and out of corners. She's really fluid. The ability to just step into the court and generate the pace that she's able to generate and just push every single player she faces off her back foot. It doesn't matter if you have the combination of athleticism and power that Arena Sabalenka has. Olena Rabakina has what it takes to be an elite player on that surface, which we already knew, of course. She made an Australian Open final last year for crying out loud. But I think she's continued to cement herself as a real contender for the Australian Open this year and for hopefully many more titles to come. She's probably impressed me the most. I thought Iga, I, it's just the usual suspects, right? Like Coco Goff probably shouldn't have dropped a set all week in Auckland. She did. But she still won the title pretty handily. Like I don't think there was ever a moment that I was doubting Coco's ability to win that title. And then, like, yeah, Sabalenka lost to Rabakina, but would you really be surprised if in the if they meet again in the Australian Open final and <laughs> she beats her zero and three? I mean, I pr- I probably would be, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. That it's just the usual suspects. I think there's a clear tier one developing of those four names. Maybe you throw Jessica Pagula in there just out of respect for her consistency and what she's able to do. But I personally wouldn't because I think the level that Goff, Rabakina, Sabalenka, and Shriantek have able to have been able to produce over the course of the last 13 months or so. I think it's definitively tier A on the WTA tour, and I think they're just the players to beat going into this year. I I fully agree, and my like if if I had to narrow it down even further, it comes down to Rabakina and Sviantek. You look at their starts of the season, and we know like it's important to do well at the tournaments ahead of um, ahead of slams notoriously it's we it's usually talk you know we usually talk about Cincinnati and and those tournaments in relation to the US Open but even to a certain degree you know the tournaments ahead of every slam um 
And Rabakina in Brisbane was so good, especially towards the end when you had the 1-0 against um, Elise Mertens, and then in the semifinals against uh, Noskova 3-2, and and then obviously the uh, demolition of Arena Sabalenka. Um, She was so impressive, um, and she has been so impressive for the last few weeks, and uh, I think she's definitely one to look out for. Um, I know she unfortunately met her demise to Ekaterina Alexandrova in Adelaide, um, but still such a good start to her season. And now she can, you know, head over to Melbourne uh, as she already has and, you know, get to training. And when it comes to Iga, I I hate how biased this sounds, but I'm just going to keep saying it because it's she's so freaking good. Um when I look at her round robin matches against Bia Hadidmaya, against Sarah Saribas Tormo, uh, against Zhang Chin Wen, I mean this in the most genuine way possible. Taking all biases aside, looking at her as a player, if Iga plays like that, she is my number one contender for the Australian Open. If she can put that performance up, like everything was working. Until it didn't, granted, in the first set against Caroline Garcia. But those first round, you know, those first round robin matches, even the last two sets against Garcia, and especially for sure that um that match against Angie Kerber in the final, every single match she brought it. And these aren't nobodies. You know, these are real players. It's not like you can have the conversation, oh, you know, you can talk about Rabakina because she had, you know, Sabalenka and, you know, and this and that. You can talk about Sabalenka because she had Azarenka and Rabakina. The players that Iga played aren't nobody. These are real players, real threats. And Iga dismantled them in like record fashion. And genuinely, if she like I saw people, I'm I'm not that ballsy, but I saw people on socials saying like, if Iga plays that way, she could win all four slams. I think that's a little bit ballsy, but I'm going to look at the near future. And if she plays the way she did at the United Cup, she will be my number one contender to win the Australian Open. She, her, well, I, she was taking risks she, with her shots. She was confident. Her balls were placed so well. Her strategy was there. Her mental was there. Everything was so well balanced during the United Cup, and I would love to see that level continue into Melbourne. Yeah, I think she unequivocally should be everyone's number one favorite heading into the Australian Open, just out of respect for everything that she's done <laughs> over the course of her career. But and by the way, I'm pretty sure it was Gruskin who said the whole "I'm gonna be the fr-, like that." Ego might go ahead and was win it all Gruskin? I I saw like I I saw multiple people. Like, I don't think it was just. I know Gruskin, he's. Dude. I know like, he definitely said it on the mini break pod. Yeah. Um. Because I was talking to him about that. I'm but. here to say that, like, in my opinion, Iga will sweep the clay season. I think she gets... A, I was talking to, like, some friends earlier today, and I legit was like, if Iga doesn't win a medal, I'm going to be floored. And I don't... Like, it doesn't have to be gold. If she doesn't even get... Like, I think she gets gold. If she doesn't even get a medal, I will be floored. Yeah. Well, I it is. it's an Olympic year, so... You know, and they're playing, and they're playing pretty much in her backyard. Yeah, I mean, it'll certainly be interesting. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. I think Iga should be my number one, everyone's number one favorite. <laughs> I will say, there is 
a slight hesitancy I have whenever I see Elena Rabakina in her side in her section oh, of yeah. any draw because that is a proven matchup that has given her some trouble before and just it's just the totality of things that Rabakina can do right it's taking advantage of I not the uber powerful style not to say Iga isn't a powerful player but she is yeah heavily based on technique and finesse in the way that Novak Djokovic kind of is you would say that what Rubakina is able to do from a power perspective and just being really aggressive on the second serve returns and just forcing her way into, you know, not to bring up something that would be considered a tangent, but that's kind of what the show's for. <laughs> I was, I was watching Breakpoint earlier today and there's an, ep- <laughs> there's an episode in season two. I, one of the few good things to come out of that show, to be quite honest, but there's an episode where Holger Runa's mom says, guys like Novak and Rafa, they don't play the point. They are the point. There's a certain element that Iga, Sabalenka, and Rabakina, and even Coco to some extent, I don't think she's fully there yet in terms of recognizing that potential that she has, but they dominate the point. Like The point hinges on their abilities, yes. and I think Rabakina takes that even a step further when she plays top level competition because like what she the power that she's able to generate with such ease and the contact point and just how fluid that is i think with rubakina that is just like that is taken to a whole another level where like rubakina is the point like she is going to dictate on her own terms whether you like it or not and however it turns out She's going to give it her all and you you kind of see what will happen. But no, it's certainly interesting. And kind of the question that I wanted to pose to you, right, is we know about those four, right? They are the top tier of the WTA tour. Is there anybody else that you feel like can make significant strides to and make real inroads into becoming a part of that foursome in terms of competing for slams this year on the WTA tour and how they would even get there. I want to start by responding to the ego versus Robachina thing, because this is something that I've studied extensively and just looked at and just been so, you know, fascinated by. And I, I've figured out kind of what works against Sviantek and it is the Rabakina Sabalenka Ostapenko playstyle, uh, like and this and this what I'm about to describe, hand, like hands itself more towards Rabakina and Sabalenka. But we've seen there are four people that Iga has extreme difficulties against overall playing against these four women, and it's Rabakina, Sabalenka, Ostapenko, and Krejcikova. These are the these are like Iga's four kryptonite. This is like it's her most even head to head over the last two years. Um, and it comes down to, and this is like I and said, not, to, not head, to interrupt you, yeah. but whatever the ego Coco rivalry is, that's the opposite of kryptonite for ego, but continue. <laughs> and it's interesting because it, it also hand, hands itself to this. And this is something that we've discussed before, but on the women's side, we're not used to seeing women that play with heavy top spin and really dictate the point that way. And like you said, with heavy finesse and technique, um, the way that Iga does. Rabakin and Sabalenka work well against Iga because they hit with confidence, they take risky shots, they hit flat and deep, 
with a with an amazing freaking contact point. Um, they're also really good at capitalizing on Iga's faults, aka her second serve. Uh, if her serve is not on, it's absolute kryptonite. Um, Iga's serve at the United Cup was great. It was so so good. Um, she's made a lot of improvements on her serve, you know, 365 days ago to, to now. Um, but with that said, there's still improvements to be made, especially that second serve. That's so easy to capitalize on if you know how to do it. Iga Sabalenka and Robakina, like you said, they like to play their game. Their game relies on making you play their game. They're going to dictate every point. They're going to run every point to the ground and they're going to do it their way. They're really good at offense to defense transitioning. Um, You know, you know, even when you put them on the run, they're going to find a way to put you back on the defensive. And so it's just a really tough matchup for her. But I think it's something that we've also seen her do really well at conquering and getting over that hurdle. So it's going to be super interesting to see what happens there. And then, to your point of like, is there anybody that can join that conversation? Honestly, no, I don't see it. I see people nipping at heels. I see people being included in slam conversations. I don't see someone. I think the difference for me is that when I look at those four, I'm expecting a week to week consistency that we don't get from a lot of players. Are they going to slip up? Yes. Are they going to have off days? Yes. It is part of being human in an individual sport. At the same time, I don't expect this level of consistency from anyone else. You're going to see glimpses of greatness. Like someone that petrifies the crap out of me is Yelena Ostapenko. I, it is noted that I am not her biggest fan, but She's so good. She's so good. And on her day, she's a real threat. But the issue is her consistency. Like the fact that she won a slam in 2017 and we just applauded the fact that she had week to week consistency last season should raise a lot of questions. And even with her week to week consistency, she was not in slam winning conversations. Deep runs, sure. Win a slam, no. Yeah, no, I'm with you. The one thing I will say is I think you are underselling the level of depth that there is on the tour at this point. Because like, I think there's a great level of depth. <laughs> yeah, like, do I think any of those players are on the level that the, that the top four are? No. But what I will say is there is a highly likely chance that say Anjabur gets hot again at Wimbledon, right? Like, is there really a world where you can't see her winning the title there? Because I certainly can. Oh no, I certainly do. Exactly. And like, if there's ever somebody who believes in hard work will breed rewards more than Jessica Pagula, I'm yet to hear of that person. (laughs) Um, Because like, there has to be some level of reward for the consistency that she's put up over the last 18 months or so, or honestly, even longer to than me, that. She's been I mean, to player. me, it's, it's a difference of, is there someone that's going to join their conversation of being in those top players of the world and consistently week to week, putting up those results versus 
just generally being in the conversations to win the slam. Like when we get to Wimbledon, we're obviously going to be talking about Marketa Vondrusova. We're obviously going to be talking about Anja Burr. When we get to the French, we're obviously going to talk about Krejcikova and, M- and Machova and Ostapenko probably. When we get to New York, we're obviously going to have conversations about Jesse Pagula and about you know other players. And we're in Australia, we're going to be talking about you know obviously outside of Sabalenka and Rabakina, we're going to be talking about Ostapenko. We're going to be talking about you know Svitolina, other players that have been hot yeah. so far. But so that's, like, but that's what there's I'm, lots of people that's that what can I'm be saying. in the conversation. But that's what I'm saying is like. Are there other players in the slam conversation right now? Yes, there are. Do I think that will I be picking those players to be winning no. Grand Slam titles? No, because like there just is such a clear delta between the top of the women's game and the rest of the tour right now. But I like it truly wouldn't be surprised if something happens. Like, what if Naomi Osaka just is exactly on one for? I two was going to mention her too, right? And like, what if it, she comes and- back with? What if she comes back rejuvenated, fully healthy, she's fit, she's moving well, and the stars align? Like, I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if she wins a hard court slam sometime this year. I mean, I let's, also, <laughs> let's also say we also have another, we also have more players returning that are, you know, also factors to include when it comes to draws. You have the return of Sophia Kennan, the return of Angie Kerber, the return of Caroline Wozniacki. You never know what these variables are going to present you know exactly and that's not um, even and i think that's yeah. not even to mention sorry not to cut you off again but that's not even to mention like what if we see it, somebody like junction when take another leap this year right and really vault herself into slam contender status sometime this year like there's a real chance that that happens so i wouldn't exactly write off that ability for multiple players to be in that slam conversation Ultimately, I'm, am I going to rotate between picking Iga and Sabalenka to win every slam this year? Yeah, 100%. I talk a big game, but I don't back it up. So we'll see. <laughs> but also, like, just generally, I think, and this is going to be my last point, was just you, I think this is partially the beauty of sport, is that we can sit here and talk about the favorites, but the favorites are only favorites. It's not definites. And there's such a rich history of just people coming out of absolutely nowhere especially over the last few years. You talk, like, in 2017, Ostapenko was not on the top of people's minds to win the French. Um, in 2020, Igor Sviantek ranked 50-something in the world. That's the last person anybody was going to pick to win the French. The same goes for Krejcikov the year later. The same goes for Emma Raducanu. The same goes for Rabakina okay, when she won. Emma Raducanu's slam run was very different from the rest of those <laughs> yes, slam runs. Yes, But... I, I but get like your you, but point, like yes. just I'm looking at, at the main four for me of just being Iga 2020 French, Krejcikova 21 French, Rabakina 22 Wimbledon, and Von Drusova 23 Wimbledon. All great players, and in the last in the last two cases, they were top 20 players that like we probably would have mentioned, but no one would have been picking. Yeah, like no one would have known that that was going to happen. And it's the beauty of, you know, sport and, you know, our jobs getting to talk about it because it's just, you never know. We can sit here and talk about favorites, but it's never a definite. Yeah. No, I, like, I I do just really like this foursome that we have developing because, like, I pray that they all stay healthy over the course of the year, that they keep this level of form because it'll be really fun to see them going at it week in, week out. It's like, and they're just such contrasting game styles too. Like 
you think of Iga and Coco as these two players who are just going to like strangle you to death with their defense and they're just going to like put handcuffs on their opponents and just not allow them to make any mistakes. And the moment somebody does, they're going to capitalize on it like that. Like, and I don't even think Coco has gotten close to her full potential. I still think Iga can grow as a player. I mean, she's probably starting to hit her prime, but that prime might go on for like 12 years. So <laughs> it'll be like, I think that'll just be really interesting. Like, and I'm also just really excited to explore the dynamics between the four of them, because you look at what Coco does against Iga, like, Iga kind of just does everything a little bit better than Coco does. And it's kind of just about who's going to execute the game plan on that day. Like, what are the weaknesses when you think of Coco and Iga? A little weak on the second serve. The forehand can get pretty ropey at times. Shriantek's a couple years older. Maybe in three years, Coco is at the level that Shriantek is at right now in terms of her ability to navigate match situations with the forehand and the second serve. That's what I was going to say. I think to me, it's it, when you compare Iga and Coco, it's similar game style, but I think it comes down to the match situations and the match decision making. And, you know, I think back to when Iga was Coco's age, which is literally when she won her first slam. Coco's 19, yeah. Iga won her first slam at 19. So did Coco. And so you're and looking again, at them like, start to grow into those, you know, when I when I think of 19-year-old Ego winning the 2020 French, the, her match against Simona Halep was such a breakthrough. And I, fi- and I feel like Coco had the same thing happen when she finally beat Sabalenka. And I feel like you're looking at so many, you know, differences. And when you look at how much Ego's grown over the last three, four years, you could see the same thing happen to Coco. And I think when it comes to Ego, I think where Ego wins is her strategic like decision making within a match and just I feel like her shot placement is just that little bit more precise that little bit more accurate well I think it's also just the experience and the confidence that she's able to draw upon right like Iga has been the best player (laughs) in the world for about three years now yeah so uh, first of all credit to her for that because really hard as we've seen like we thought Ash Barty was going to be that. We thought oh, I was going to say my, was be my main credit goes to the fact that Iga inherited number one from Ash Barty when Ash finally retired and she didn't let it break her. You know, like so many people were saying, oh, this was handed to her on a silver platter. Like, what is she going to do with it? And, and then she went on like, a oh, boy, did she prove people wrong? Yeah. 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 And it's like, like, that's just that's just some of the discussions that we're going to be able to have, right? Like Coco and Iga, they are able to just do anything on the court athletically. And then you look at two athletes like Sabalenka and Rabakita who aren't the same type of athlete, but are both just equally fascinating in how they operate on a tennis court because of the way they use that athleticism and their power and just like force that momentum into shots. Like, it's so interesting, and it's like, I hope we get to see Sabalenka Goff, Rabakina Goff, Sviantek Goff. I hope we see Sviantek Sabalenka, and I just hope we see every permutation and combination possible over the course which, of the calendar year. Which brings me to the question that I think will wrap us up for today. Do you see this foursome reaching 
the levels and maybe not exactly, but similarly to, you know where this is going, right? Yes. And I'm already uh, listeners. The can't ATP see the, big three. Yeah. Well, listeners can't does see this, the zoom right now. Does, like, like I know, but what I'm saying is, does this have that ceiling? Like, could it ever get there? Could it be? And I'm not saying to that same level of greatness where it's like complete pure domination, where they're winning every freaking slam known to man for the next 10 years. But does it get to a point where they are, where like every slam conversation, it's just them. Every time they enter a tournament draw, it is them against the field where it's like, just that level of prominence and that level of greatness and that level of control over the field. It's, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like the big three, but like, I feel like this could get close to it. Yeah. Close as close as we're going to get as close as we can foresee. Yeah. Well, I understand your question. I'm not trying to compare them to the big three because you're never going to get another one. No, I'm just saying, could this like the three best? Yeah. The three best players of all time just aren't playing right now on the women's side. And (laughs) that's okay. Right. Maybe we have one of them, maybe two if we're lucky, but like, I just think it would like, it's so interesting that you asked me that question (laughs) Because, well, A, first of all, I'm going to turn it into a big four, like, conversation because this is a podcast that is a firm believer that it was at one point a big four. Oh, I I think it's a big four. I think it's a big four. Yeah, exactly. At one point. The only place it is not is is slam count, but in every other category, it's a big four. There was a period, again, there was, uh, we don't need to get into this on the women's (laughs) review show, but there was a period from about 2012 to, or even really like 2010 to 2016 where Murray yeah. was as much of a factor, if not more than a guy like Federer, maybe not Nadal or Djokovic, but he was there at every slam and every slam was just which one of those four is going to win because it's probably not going to be anybody else unless Stan just has one of those weeks. Right. For so, me. The, yeah. Well, well, that's a whole nother tangent. We're not going to go there. Yeah, absolutely. But just what I'm going to say is what the the promise that they have is something that I just I don't think we need to compare it to the big four. Like I I think we I think we could get a similar kind of thing, but I think just like the bigger like I'm going to pivot off your question. I think the bigger benefit of it is that in some ways there has been a lack of clear star power at the top of the game with multiple names at once on the women's side. And I think that's what we're finally getting in terms of there's not just one player. There's not just two players. Like they're a legitimate group, right? And it feels like week in, week out, they're going to be the people that we're talking about all year long. And I can't wait to be wrong in three weeks when, I don't know, Anjabur wins the Australian Open. But I just think it's so incredibly fascinating that we have these four players just competing at the highest level. And so, like, yes, I get your point. I'm not, I'm not ready to say that it's the new ATP-style big four, but it's certainly a big four right now yeah 
I think the difficulty of of you know even putting that comparison out there is just the fact that you also have to keep in mind the volatility of the women's game. Every time that it's been thought, even for a split second, that there could be some sort of dominance, that's quenched at some point. Like you you look back and you know the last. I mean, pre-Serena, the last, like, real, real dominance that you've, that I feel like we've had was, like, the Monica Sellas, Steffi Graf, Navratilova, and Everett, period. Because, like, since then, it's just been, like, just, like, handful of names. A few people got more than four slams when you look at Venus Williams, when you look at Justine Nen, and you look at, you know, Kim Kleisters. But, like... There's just such a volatility on the women's game that you never know who's going to come out of the woodwork and just start to just go off. And it's going to be hard to see the same level of dominance that the, that the you know, Federer, Nadal, Murray, Djokovic, to a certain extent, Vavrinka group and the chokehold that they had on the men's game for such a long time. And, like, if I'm... You know, regardless of if we're here two years down the road and we look at, you know, all of the women's slam winners and it's the same four names for 10 years or not, it's going to be entertaining and it's going to be fun to watch. And as it always is, it's just it's always fun to speculate, I feel like, and see and think what, what could be just because we got to we're so lucky and so fortunate to have been able to see that era of the big three, four or five, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm 100 with you. And yeah, final words to you. But if if you have nothing more to say, I think we're pretty good. I before we turn this into an ATP review show, I think we did a pretty good job recapping 2023, previewing what's to come in 2024. But I'll let you do the closing intro if you don't have anything else to add. I I really don't. I was ready for your closing remarks, but you just you know tied it up with a ribbon nicely. Um, no, as always, stay tuned with all of our stuff here at Cracked. We have so much, so much uh, new and exciting stuff coming for you guys, and we're excited to see it come to fruition. Um, and we will be back with more episodes on hopefully a more consistent basis. Uh, stay tuned for our Australian Open preview, which at least we can confirm that will definitely happen. Um, but that's all the time we have for this week's episode of the Counterpunch Podcast. Goodbye.